0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: When traveling recently, our flight was late, so we almost missed our connection. When I heard the announcer say, final boarding for our flight, I knew that time was short. Now, fortunately, we made the flight with just a few minutes to spare. But if they had closed those doors earlier, we would have had to wait and wait and wait all day and maybe not even get into our destination till the next day. We're at a point in time when God is calling for the final boarding. If we miss his calling, it's going to be too late. We will miss an opportunity to spend eternity with God in heaven, to be walking with him here on earth so that we can be with him for eternity. Today, we're going to continue in Revelation 14, seeing God giving the world one last chance, one final boarding call to turn to him. And in the process, he makes a contrast here between following him as our faithful God or serving a faithless religious system. We've got to make that decision because that final boarding call is coming soon. I'm Debbie Blank, encouraging you to pay close attention because your future depends on it. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors.
0: Back when we finished chapter 13 of Revelation, we saw two beasts summoned by Satan, the dragon, setting up a false religious system. He used a grotesque, blasphemous beast that survives a fatal wound, and a beast who looks like a lamb but deceives the people into worshiping the first beast and its image. Those deceived false worshippers will ultimately meet a terrible fate. But even though our righteous God is ready to pour His righteous wrath upon this horrible system, He does something amazing first. In chapter 14, we get another opportunity to witness His abundant grace and mercy. Our faithful God will create more ways to extend the gospel to anyone who might still come to him at this final hour.
1: It is so awesome to see God's faithfulness as we look at this chapter and every chapter really in the book of Revelation because God continues to pour out his love on mankind by showing us and giving us the opportunity to turn to him before it's too late. Here in Revelation 14, we time-wise are seeing an overview of the last three and a half years of Revelation. It's not really specific details because everything we're seeing here, pretty much we're going to see a little bit more of as we move on in these last set chapters of Revelation. So the focus on this particular chapter tends to be on the faithful versus the faithless. The faithful God, the faithful followers of Jesus Christ, the faithless religious system, the faithless people who follow the religious system. So God's contrasting that here to show us that there's a difference in how we act and how we live and how we respond. So we pick up
0: in chapter 14, right after we've talked about 144,000, how they were blameless and they had fulfilled their mission on earth. And now we see God coming up with a new way of evangelizing to the people. This is something I don't think we've ever seen in Scripture before. I'm going to read those verses, and then, Debbie, I'm going to ask you to comment on that. Verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water.
1: What is unusual about this way of presenting the gospel? We have never before seen an angel as an evangelist, an angel presenting the gospel. We do see in Acts chapter 10 where an angel explained a vision, a dream that Peter had had and told him to go share the gospel with Cornelius. But we never see it with the angels presenting the gospel. And did you notice where he is? He's not standing at the wailing wall. He's not on CNN. It says he is flying in mid heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach. Boy, will that be quite something. In Matthew 24, we see Jesus when he returns, he's going to be seen in the heavens by everyone around the world. I don't know exactly how that would look, and I don't know how this would either, but it's going to be miraculous. And then when this angel is flying in mid heaven, he's got the eternal gospel to preach. I love that. The two words, eternal and gospel, are usually not put together. But that's exactly what the gospel message is. Gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And if You follow the good news of Jesus Christ by following Jesus, it's an eternal relationship that you have with Him. If you choose not to, your eternal relationship is going to be away from God. So, this eternal gospel, which is what they're preaching, is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel message? I love the way it's described in Romans 1 because Romans 1, Paul gives us kind of an explanation of where it came from and who it's about and and what it means. It says in Romans 1.1, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God, of course, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul was set aside for that gospel to preach it to the Gentiles. Verse two, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Well, that tells us that the whole story and explanation about Jesus as the Messiah was given to us in the Old Testament. Do you remember when Jesus was walking with two guys on the road to Emmaus after he'd been resurrected? And it tells us in that passage that he told them all about himself by walking through the Old Testament scriptures. And that's what Paul says here. We can find out who Jesus Christ is by reading the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't come easy because you read it. It doesn't say Jesus Christ did this or that. It was going to look this way or that way. You have to understand who the scriptures are pointing to. You can also go to the New Testament, which refers back to the Old Testament to see these prophecies about Jesus. But there is no excuse. Jesus has prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament, and he's fulfilling those prophecies in the New Testament.
0: Well, when Paul went out to preach Jesus Christ to people, he used the Old Testament. There was no New Testament. So all of the disciples used the Old Testament scriptures in order to convince people of who Jesus Christ was. So the gospel is presented there, and it's also presented in the New Testament as well.
1: Absolutely. Romans one three now says that this gospel concerns God's Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. That tells us That Jesus is God's son, which means he's God, and yet he was born according to the flesh. So he was human. He was 100% God and 100% man. Verse 4 tells us about his deity. It says, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It goes on to say in verse five, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. So our faith is in Jesus Christ, which is the fulfillment of the gospel message. That's what this angel is preaching. So unique for an angel to be doing it. But remember, the 144,000 are gone now. The church has been raptured three and a half years before that. But we do know, according to Matthew twenty four fourteen, that the gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. Is that what he's referring to here? Well, this is the last time I see the gospel preached. It's not us as evangelists going out or teaching, or it's not missionaries going to different parts of the world. It's not the internet. The last time we see it are these angels preaching the gospel. And Jesus said, then the end will come. And we know that the last half of the tribulation is the end. It's, God has won, according to Revelation 11. He's won the battle. It's just going to take three and a half years to get there.
0: So this eternal gospel is the same gospel that's been preached for everyone who becomes a believer and speaking to every tribe, nation, and people in their language. So it makes me think of Pentecost. Peter was able to speak, and somehow people said they were hearing him in their own language. God can do anything. We know that nothing is impossible with God. This is how he's going to do it. This is the explanation we're being given, and this is his way of that final outreach to people. You asked if there were any believers left on the earth, and it's like, well, you know what? If there's anybody that's willing to believe, he's going to find them. I'm so impressed this time going through Revelation with how many times God reaches out to this disobedient people who have been through so many things and are still rebelling. And yet, if there's somebody that he knows whose heart might be changed,
1: then that angel's going to go out and preach to them. To those who dwell on the earth. That's everybody. And then if we miss that, he says to every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That means Jews and Gentiles alike. He's going to preach the gospel to everyone, giving everyone one last opportunity because of his patience, his forbearance, the love and the mercy that God has. When I think of forbearance, that means really a temporary suspension of God's wrath against sin. He is holding off as long as he can to pour out his wrath on people, giving them another opportunity to turn to him. Second Peter three, nine is a very popular verse that says that. The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to the knowledge of repentance. That's God's heart. He's long suffering. That long suffering means a long nose, which means it's like God is breathing in real long and real slow, just waiting for mankind to turn to him. And that's what we see here. They have turned from him. They have blasphemed him. They've taken the mark of the beast. Satan is dwelling and being worshiped on earth. We have the Antichrist and the false prophet. And yet God is giving them one more chance rather than just giving up on them. How awesome is that for him to do? He is so gracious. And that's why the angel says when he preaches the gospel, he said with a loud voice, fear God. So he shares the gospel, and then he tells them what they need to do. The first thing they need to do is fear God. Fear is phobos in the Greek, and that means to have a reverential awesomeness of God. And sometimes I downplay that a little bit by thinking, well, I need to respect him as God, as we would respect our fathers or our leaders who are righteous. But it's really more than that. This is a terrifying expectation of who God is and what he will do. If you and I were standing before the presence of God right now, we'd fall to our knees. We'd cover our faces because he is so awesome and he is God of the universe and creator of the world. And how are we worthy to stand before him? There's a reverential fear there that also brings a terrifying concern What happens if we can't stand before God or what happens to those people who don't turn to God? He's going to bring judgment. And his judgment is righteous. And we know that now we
0: see over and over again how evil the world is, how terrible Satan is, how destructive it is to everyone and everything that God loves. So judgment has to come. He would not be a righteous God if he did not judge. He's about to pour this terrible wrath out on what cannot be redeemed. But he's out there to
1: redeem anyone and everyone that he can redeem. When he says fear God, that's a command that people are supposed to do when he's sharing the gospel. It also means they need to do it all the time, not just a one-time decision. And, and when I think of that, I think of Job in Job 1.1. 1, 1, it says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Fearing God brings an action, a mentality, but also an outward action of how we treat him. That's why it goes on to say, and give him glory. Glory is doxa. It means recognizing what God is deserving of. How awesome he is! Psalm twenty-four, seven through ten, kind of says that when it says, "Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in." Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. It says, and then in First Chronicles sixteen, ten. We're told to glory in his name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Our focus is supposed to be totally on God according to these verses and according to the definition of glory. He is the one to be worshiped, God and God alone, which it says later in that verse seven when it says worship him. The Greek word for worship means to lick like a dog licking his master. When we think of our wonderful pets, they are so caring and loving to their masters and will do anything for their masters. And that's what worship is. When we show that to God, we will do anything for him. We recognize that he is the one who made us and takes care of us and provides for us and gives us life. And therefore, we'll follow anything and worship him in anything he leads us into.
0: Those two aspects, giving God glory and worshiping Him, remind me of what we're supposed to do with our daily lives. And I thought of the verse from 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then also when it comes to worshiping, um, Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we can worship and we can give God glory in everything that we do.
1: That's all part of the gospel. The gospel is shared is about accepting Jesus Christ. And then when we do, we fear him, we give him glory, we worship him. We do it because he's deserving, because of who he is. But we also do it knowing, according to verse seven, that the hour of judgment has come. This is God's judgment. This is the first time, as a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation that we see the word judgment. It generally talks about God's wrath. But here it's saying that there's coming a time where God will judge this sin. He is a just God who is the only one worthy to judge people for how they're living. In the original language, the verbiage of this explains that this is an eros inductive action verb. And that means that His judgment has come. It's not continuous. It doesn't specify the time it's going to happen, but it's going to happen because the indicative means it's an assertion of fact. And the action means that the action is going to be accomplished by the subject, who is God. God is going to pour out this judgment during this last half of the tribulation, not right this second, but during the last half on those who don't listen to this gospel, take this last chance to hear the gospel. And then translate that instead of blaspheming God to fearing him and worshiping him and giving him glory. It's also going to be a tough time because these people are going to go through a lot of hell on earth. They're not going to be able to buy or sell. They're not going to be able to eat. Those who follow God, who do not have the mark of the beast, are going to suffer the consequences. They're going to be martyred, but then there's going to be rejoicing in heaven when that happens.
0: When we talk about what's going on for those people who refuse to take the mark of the beast and the ones who have taken the mark of the beast, the tables turn after that. And so we're looking at just a short time where Babylon is in charge, where those people are being dominated by a tyrannical demonic government and a tyrannical demonic religious system. But at some point, and we see here in verse 8, it says, A second angel followed and said, Fallen of fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. There's an end to Babylon, so there's a judgment. We talk about judgment on this kind of an evil. It's a good thing. There's justice that comes. We've seen the evil that they perpetrated on innocent people, and now we see
1: their proper judgment. Now we're going to see the destruction of this world empire. Babylon is first mentioned, actually, in second Kings chapter 17 verse 24 dealing with the nation of Babylon however prior to that we see Babel which goes all the way back to Genesis 10 and Nimrod the rebel he's known as and then Genesis 11 when we had the tower of Babel that he and the people tried to build at that time we're going to talk more in depth about Babylon and mystery Babylon and fallen Babylon when we come to chapter 17, 18, because that's what those chapters are all about. This right here is just a glimpse into what's going to happen over the next three and a half years. And I think it's a glimpse not only of the faithless people and countries and religion, but also a hope for the faithful to know that they People who've blasphemed and turned away from God will be judged in righteousness.
0: We've seen in other places in Revelation where things have been said as if they are accomplished. Even though it's down the road a little bit, they are being assured that whatever this is, is as good as
1: done. As we look at Revelation 14, 9 through 12, We're introduced to a group of faithless people. We saw them back in Revelation 13 when the mark of the beast was introduced. And we did read this passage then to understand what the consequences would be of those people who accepted the mark of the beast. But let's read it again here today. Revelation fourteen nine begins by saying another angel, a third one followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, and that's the mark of the beast from Revelation 13, where you cannot buy or sell unless you have this mark, which is a worshiping of the Antichrist. Verse 10, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So when it says he's going to drink the wine of the wrath of God, it doesn't mean he's going to drink a cup of wine. This is an example of what we see in Revelation 19, that when Jesus comes, it tells us in verse 15, he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. So you have that same analogy there. This is the wrath of God. Remember, wrath in Christ, Greek is either thumos or orge. Thumos is the action where God's pouring out something. Orge is a mental anger, mental wrath. In this verse, we see them both. Those who worship the Antichrist are going to experience the thumos wrath of God that's mixed in full strength in the cup of his orge. His mental and physical wrath is going to be poured out on people and they're going to be tormented away from God in hell forever and ever Verses 11 and 12 say, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever received the mark of his name. That means that once people make the decision to follow the Antichrist, to worship him, they have no chance. They cannot at that point accept Jesus Christ or go to heaven because they have painted their picture of their allegiance, and it's too The antichrist it's to satan
0: so as we're finishing up with this particular section of chapter 14 we're reading about the torment of those who are taking the mark of the beast and the regret that they're going to have and the punishment that's going to happen and then verse 12 seems to shift a little bit here so it says here this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of god who keep his commands and remain faithful to jesus So that's an interesting
1: way of ending that section. What do you think? I see God is sandwiching the evil in the middle with the good on both sides of it, because God talks about the faithful followers. He talks then about his faithfulness of continuing to share the gospel. Then he goes into those who are faithless, but he ends this passage here by saying, here's the preservation of the saints, here's the patience of the saints, it is those who continue to endure, who never lose their faith, who always follow Jesus Christ. And he calls them saints, so we know that they are followers of Jesus Christ here that he's talking about. They not only are saints, but they keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ, even with the hell on earth that's going on, even with with the temptation, even with the manipulation by the government and the religious system and the Antichrist, everyone, that they must take this mark. They must worship them. They hold to their faith. We think of Daniel chapter three, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were required to worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, no, they said, we will not worship you. God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not worship you or bow down to the statue, O King. That's the preservation of the saints. That's the people, no matter what it takes, we need to stand strong. And it's difficult. We can just look at all that's going on with the vaccine mandates right now. It's difficult for those people who have a religious or a personal or a health objection to to the vaccine because they're being persecuted. They're being told they can't go places. They, even in Australia, are being sequestered to their homes. They cannot have a job, any job in Australia. And same things are happening in Austria. Our president's trying to make that happen here. We're seeing it already. And what I've seen is a lot of people have acquiesced to the vaccine who did not believe in them because that's the only way they can get a job or keep their job this is just a minimal example of what it's going to be in the future when people are forced to do what the antichrist says that's why it's so important that we as christians know whom we have believed in and that we stand firm in jesus christ and we do not compromise the truth that's why these people were patient they were saints They kept God's commandments and they kept their faith in Jesus Christ instead of taking the easy way out and worshiping the Antichrist so they could have food. That would be a short time experience whereas following Jesus is for all eternity. This is a great example of a true faithful follower. In the midst of adversity they never gave up but kept their eyes on Jesus. There's a consequence in our lives for either turning to God or turning away from him we need to ask today what is your faith based on is it based on your religion is it based on listening to other people is it based on your thought processes or yourself as your own God is it based on your spirituality more and more these days people are falling away from God in his word to follow a God of their own making If you just look at statistics, 65% of adults in America now call themselves Christians, whereas in 1990, that was 85%. 26% of Americans now are nuns. They have no religious affiliations. 4% are atheists and 4% are agnostics. This 34%, a third of America is not walking with Jesus Christ. It was never that way before. We're turning away from God. We're following religious systems or gods of our own making, but we must be ready. We must hear the gospel message now before it's too late. We don't want anyone to go through the first half of the tribulation and hear the gospel. Then we want them to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, the joy and the hope that we have in him today here on earth and then for all eternity. God's reaching out to us today and each and every day he's trying to draw us to himself. We just need to let go and let God accept him as our Lord and savior and our whole lives will change. It doesn't mean everything is going to be perfect and we're going to have everything we want. No, but it means we have our savior and with him, we have the greatest hope and joy and plans and future than we could ever imagine. God's final boarding call is going to come soon. It's not too late yet. You haven't missed the plane. But pretty soon, the rapture is going to take place and the plane will be gone. And at that point, it'll be a lot harder to accept Jesus Christ. So don't miss the plane. Don't miss the gospel. Turn to Jesus today. All you have to do simply is just say, God, I don't know what to do. I want to believe in you. I need you. Help me. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a savior and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. Help me. I turn my life over to you right now that you will change me and bring me into your kingdom. Pray that today, a simple prayer like that, and you will be in the kingdom of God for all eternity. You get to love him and enjoy him on earth, and then you're going to catch the plane, and we'll see you in heaven.
0: Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.